Uh, it's an old story. Uh, some of you may have heard the story. It, was, uh, it took place shortly after World War II. The, the narrator of the story and the, the one who wrote the story is actually a, a young girl who grew up in a home uh, with her widowed mother and her two sisters, all three in their early to mid-teens. And the story took place a month before Easter, 1946. The church where this little family attended decided, as many churches do during the Easter season, they, they decided that they were going to help a needy family during the Easter season. So a month before Easter, the pastor announced that, you know, plan on setting aside funds, setting aside your money so that when we take up this offering on Easter Sunday, uh, we'll be able to give to a, a family uh, in our community who's needy. Edie, the, the girl that writes the story, said that she and her sisters and her mother got so excited about what they could do to help that year. And uh, so they, they took this challenge very seriously, and they, not having much, made sacrifices. Uh, for instance, they decided to buy a 50-pound bag of potatoes, and they were going to eat just potato dishes for the next month, and that would save them, remember it's 1946, a whole $20 on their grocery bill. They started turning the lights off early, long before it was dark, because they wanted to save money on electricity. Uh, the older girls took on extra babysitting jobs, and they actually went out and talked to people and, and did some yard work for people. They, they found that if they could make potholders, they could sell them in different places for a dollar each, and they made potholders pot and sold them. Saturday before Easter came, they took all the money that they had saved, the change and the little dollar bills and all, they put it all together, and Edie and her younger sister Susan went down to the local grocery store, and they, they counted out all the money, and the grocer gave them three crisp $20 bills and one crisp $10 bill, $70. By the way, in 2021 money, that would be well over $500, pushing $600. They were so excited. Easter Sunday dawned, and it was raining. Church was a mile away. They didn't have a car. They didn't even have an umbrella. It didn't matter. They went to church. They were singing along the way. They were so excited that they got to participate and, and that they had sacrificed for God and for God's people. The offering plate came and as came by for the special offering. Each of the girls put a $20 bill in and mom put the $10 bill in. When they went home, all, they, they just sung hymns and songs all the way home. They were so full, so full of joy. Edie had said that that month was the best month of their lives. Later on that afternoon, a car pulled up. The pastor to the church got out of the car, came up and knocked on the door and spoke to mom quietly. 
She came in after the pastor had talked and she sat down at the dining room table. The girls were curious what the pastor was there for. And mom opened up an envelope. And out of the envelope fell three crisp $20 bills, one crisp $10 bill, and 17 $1 bills. Edie said it was the first time in her life she realized she was poor. All of a sudden they realized they were the poor family in church. They were the needy family in church. They were the ones that everybody was giving to. It was a hard week. They just didn't know how to process it. Sunday came around. Mom stood strong. She insisted that they all go to church that Sunday. She insisted that they go and that they gather together with God's people no matter how they felt, no matter how poor they felt. And they walked into church that day and there happened to be a guest speaker. It was a missionary. It was a missionary who had been in, uh, had, who, who was working in Africa. And he told about the village where he worked, the people that started to come to know Christ. And, and as coming to know Jesus, they realized they wanted to gather together. And so they had been able to build the, the structure of a small church out of mud bricks, but, but they just couldn't, they didn't have what it took to get the roof on. He said, it would only take $100. $100 would put a roof on this church. The pastor stood up and said, I know we just had a special offering for Easter, but we're going to take up another special offering. Please be generous. Let's do what we can to help this church. The girls looked down the aisle as mom reached into her purse and pulled out the envelope. They knew what mom was thinking. Mom handed the envelope to the older sister, Osi. Osi handed it to Edie. Edie handed the envelope to her little sister, Susan. And when the ushers came for the, with the offering plate, with that very special offering, Susan proudly put the whole envelope in. Well, the, the service was coming to a close, and the pastor was beginning to wrap it up, and one of the ushers came forward and whispered something into his ear. And the usher said to the pastor, or the pastor said to the congregation, I am blown away. He brought the missionary up. He goes, the offering was just over $100. The missionary was overwhelmed. He's weeping. He didn't realize it. Again, 1946, he, he was blown away that this small congregation had been able to come up with enough funds to put a roof on the church in Africa. And he made the statement, you must have some very rich people in your church to be so generous. And it dawned on Edie and her family. They had given most of the money for that offering. They were the rich family in church. Stories like that, and I believe it's a true story, should touch our hearts, but they, they should do another thing. Stories like that should make us think deeply about the power of generosity. I've known some very generous people in my day. 
in my lifetime. And in fact, Charlene and I were talking about this the other day. And I said, you know, think about the generous people we've known. What, what stood out for them? And as we were kind of talking about this, we realized that what stood out was not that they had a lot of wealth. Well, what, what stood out was each one of them had a deep sense and understanding of God's grace in their lives. And that, in turn, led to a deep sense of commitment about their things. In the early chapters of Acts, we've had, we've, we have two descriptions of generosity. We looked at the first one uh, last week. The, the, the first one is right after everything kind of explodes, right after the Holy Spirit comes on the, the apostles and the 120 in that room and they go out and they're speaking in the languages of all the people and the people hear Peter preach his first sermon ever and, and 3,000 of them make a profession as it were. They come to know Christ and now they're all getting together and they're hanging out and they're, they're committed to the teaching, they're committed to the fellowship, they're committed to the, the breaking of the bread, to remembering Christ, they're committed to prayer, and, and they realize that there are needy people, and they, they kind of bring their stuff. It's all kind of exciting and new. But by the time we get to chapter 4, it's, things have kind of been happening for a while, and Peter and John are arrested. Peter's, second, Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people are added to the numbers. Peter's second sermon, he gets arrested. You know, what a track record. And uh, so anyway, Peter uh, they, Peter and John meet before the Sanhedrin. They tell them the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, kind of run all the civic, and Rome gives them the freedom of running everything, more or less, the civic and religious rules. And, and they say, don't preach. And Peter and John say, we, we can't do that. We're going to obey God, not you. And uh, they let them go, hoping that maybe this will be enough to kind of settle things down. But it doesn't. And remember, they're even more emboldened. Remember, they go to that prayer meeting in Acts 4, and, and they pray, and they say, God, just make your glory known. And, you know, at the end of that prayer meeting, the build, God just kind of reaches down and kind of gives the building a little shake, like, hey, I heard you. And what the religious leaders hoped would happen doesn't happen. They hope that this will fade away, and it doesn't. In fact, what happens is it grows. And I'm in Acts chapter 4. You might want to take your Bibles and turn there. Acts chapter 4. And we're actually going to begin today in verse 32, right at the very end of Acts chapter 4. Because we're going to be looking at some things that were happening, what it teaches us about our, our uh, key principle today. But listen first as I read just to the end of Acts uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet." And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. 
The Bible says here that all the believers were of one heart and mind. They were all in this together. There was a sense of unity. Oh, wait, before I get there, let me back up. Let me just tell you what our principle is today. You want to know what the principle is today? Our principle is simply this. Experience, experience the unifying power of generosity. Experience the unifying power of generosity. That's our timeless principle. There is something about a group of people being generous that they, they kind of come together. They're all in it together. Now, we've had several principles. Let me review them quickly. Trust in the reality, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit. Individual and corporate prayer is to be a core reality in any church. Rely on the Holy Spirit to empower and guide us. Focus on our core message, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Embrace the strength of a faith community. And now experience the unifying power of generosity. And that starts with the heart. Heartfelt unity is a binding agent. It says all the believers were, to, were one in heart and mind. What does that mean? What does it mean to be one in heart and mind? Well, it means that there was a singular purpose. It means that they were devoted to each other. We saw, as I mentioned last week, the four things they were devoted for, teaching, sharing Christ, remembering the, or sharing Christ together, remembering the death burial, resurrection of Jesus, and communicating with God. And, and I'm going to tell you when our hearts are completely committed to God, there is an undeniable reflection of the character of God out to others. The phrase heart and mind is used several places in the New Testament. Most notably, Jesus used that phrase in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, where he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I've often rephrased that, love the Lord your God with every fiber of your being. Everything is to love. The Apostle Paul reminded the Philippian believers, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what's the response? What's the answer? When I present all of my requests to God, all of my struggles, what's the answer? The answer is the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's very interesting. When I, when I lay all my struggles at the feet of Jesus, he doesn't come along with an eraser and erase them. Because sometimes he wants me to grow through the process. What he does is he reminds me of the depth of his peace that will guard my heart and my mind. Why is that important? Well, some have broken it down this way. The heart deals with the emotions and the mind deals with the intellect. And that can be helpful. But I think it means our whole being. I think it's another expression of devotion and oneness. The believers were united in heart and mind. We would say they were all on the same page. We might say each one had the other's back. Uh, what we find is their, their relationship with the Father through the work of Jesus Christ 
empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit, created this undeniable unity. And what was the result of that? No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That's our second point today. True generosity begins in the heart. While there's this binding agent of heartfelt unity, true generosity begins in the heart. Sometimes we would say, well, generosity, uh, once, I, once I've amassed enough, once I've collected, once I have enough money, then I can be generosity. Generosity does not begin when a person has gotten a great deal of wealth or possessions. Now we can share with others. I'm taking care of everything I need. Now I can share with others. Generosity begins in the heart. Some of you may remember a story I told several, a couple years ago about a friend of ours who ran a, a Christmas store. In fact, I think it was the first Christmas we were ever doing Facebook Live because as I recall when I made the key point of one of my illustrations about the baby Jesus being taken, Facebook Live went down and everybody was going like, where's the baby Jesus? Uh, so some of you may remember that. But another part of that, I think I shared it that day too, was in this Christmas store that a friend of ours runs that is really all about um, really all about really donating and helping people have things because they don't have a lot of money. It was in the middle of December, and a lady walks in with a little five-year-old girl, and the little five-year-old girl is wearing sandals in the dead of winter in northern Indiana. And everybody sees that, and they're scrambling around. Do we have any shoes her size? And my friend was actually grabbing her coat and her car keys to run out to Target to go buy some shoes for this little girl. We can't let this little girl just have sandals. We've got to, we've got to do more. We've got to do better. And at some point in that time, she, somebody, just as she's about ready to run out, they grabbed her and said, no, no, wait. And she looked over, and there was her little five-year-old girl, about the same age as the little girl with sandals. And, and she goes up to the mother, and English was not her first language, but she communicates to the mother. And the mother starts to have a tear come down her eye, and this little girl sits down and takes her shoes off and her socks off and takes the little girl's sandals off and puts her socks on and her shoes on the little girl and gives her her shoes you see, generosity is not the stuff I have. Generosity begins in the heart. And note very clear, clearly what the text says here. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own. That presupposes that they had possessions. This was not a wholesale of giving everything away. We sometimes talk about being generous to a fault. It was not that. It was that they had possessions. They used those possessions. But they realized in having and using possessions the truth of the 24th Psalm, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So this wasn't a, well, this, this you know what? Yeah, this stuff you can give, but this is mine. This, this is very special to me. This is an heirloom. It's a family heirloom. It's going to be, pat no. They said, no. Everything I have is God's, and if someone needs it, I will share it with them. If I have it and you need it, it's yours. 
My possession now becomes your possession because in reality, it's all God's. It's a phrase you've heard me say many times. We need to hold everything, everything up to God in an open hand. That doesn't mean you can't use it. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take care of it. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't benefit from what God has allowed you to have. But it does mean that it's always available for God to use when he sees fit as he sees fit. And you know what the benefit is of living with all of your possessions? And, and I would go so far as saying all of your relationships. The benefit of living with all of those in an open hand is you learn what it truly means to be content. There is a freedom to that. Lately, I've been doing a very slow read through a, another book by Dallas Willard that was completed and published posthumously. It's entitled, A Life without lack, living the fullness of Psalm 23. And one thing I'm learning and meditating on and repeating to myself a lot is the first line of the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Do I really believe that? Do you really believe that? Do I really believe that I lack nothing? That there's really nothing I need? That God provides everything I need? That's what I'm really just kind of rolling over in my head. You see, because when I really truly believe that, then I can hold everything up to God in an open hand. Because if I give this away, God says, you lack nothing, I'll make sure you're taken care of. When I believe that I've earned something, when I believe I've worked hard to obtain that, when I believe that this was my effort and only my effort, then I live with a tight grip over all of my stuff. This is mine, and you can't have it. Generosity begins in the heart. Notice what it says here. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Let me just stop right there. Here's another thing to remember. Generosity is fueled by a deep understanding of the grace of God. The message in the book of Acts is never about what the people sacrificed. It's always about what God, the Father, sacrificed, what Jesus gave up. The message is the grace of God. The unity of the people, their, their, their commitment to the teaching and the work of God, their understanding of the grace of God led to an outpouring of generosity. And that outpouring of generosity just opened the door for the message of God's grace and his power to be shared even more effectively. It's kind of a cycle. God's grace impacts their heart. They believe in Jesus. As a result, they realize life isn't about stuff, but about their relationship with the Father. So stuff is no longer important. Stuff can be shared. 
People are blessed when their needs are met. The word of God goes out because people tell them why they share their stuff. And people get excited and they see the power of God. And they're excited to see the changes in somebody's life. And as a result, they want to come to know how, what, what's changed in you. And they hear about God's grace and it just goes over again. Think about the most basic verse, the verse that probably if you grew up in church was, may have been one of the first verses you learned. For God so loved the world that he, what? What did he do? Well, you're not excited. Come on, wake up. <laughs> he gave. Not for God so loved the world that he saved his stuff for himself, that he invested. He gave. The ultimate act of love is giving. And I would submit when you and I just start to scratch the surface of the depth of the grace of God, it will have a profound impact in how we see what we have. You see, the fact of the matter is, I own nothing. God owns it all. And when I look at, God's, when I look at what God did, I see his grace. And notice here, God's grace when and when God's grace was so worked, there were no needy persons among them. Can you just imagine that for a minute? Can you imagine this group of people that everybody had what they need, everybody shared? But here's another thing. Generosity fulfills in a tangible way the second great commandment. The first great commandment is love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, and strength. And then Jesus said, the second one is like it, love your neighbors yourself. When I am generous, I fulfill in a tangible way the second great commandment. We already saw the first. One way I love my neighbor is to be generous, to meet the needs of others that I'm able to meet. Now let's just talk about my neighborhood for a minute. I may not be able to meet the needs of every neighbor in my neighborhood. I, I don't have that capacity. But I might be able to meet one need. I may be able to do one thing. Maybe I can gather a group of people and we can step up to help someone. When I'm generous with no strings attached in a tangible way, I'm showing somebody else how much I love them. how did they do it back in Acts? Well, Luke tells us. He said, periodically, people with great means would choose to sell their stuff and bring the money they got from that sale and put it at the apostles' feet. It, it, was, it was a symbolic way of saying, it's all God's. We're giving it to him. And, and he tells about one guy named, named Barnabas. His name was actually uh, uh, Joseph. He was a Levite, so he was an Israelite. He, had, he could trace his lineage back to, to Levi. Had lived on the island of Cyprus, but was in Jerusalem, either there on business or there for the, the Passover and Pentecost. And he was wealthy enough to have a field that he could liquidate. He was wealthy enough property that he could liquidate, that he could sell. And he came and he brought it, the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And they would distribute it. 
Now note this, it's not like a lot of charities today. They didn't keep 60 cents on every dollar for administrative costs and then just give out the 40%. No, they made sure people had what they needed. And that's an amazing act. In fact, that's the introduction of this guy Barnabas. We're going to be talking about him more specifically in a few weeks, as the Lord wills. He came and he showed tangibly that he was living out the second great commandment. But his act is contrasted with another act that we see in chapter 5. Listen as I read. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, how is it? That Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and has kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think you could do such a thing? You have not lied to human beings. You have lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Some young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, that can be a confusing thing. We're going to talk about it, but here's the point. True generosity cannot be faked. You can't fake generosity, especially before God. God is not impressed by your attempts or my attempts to manage image so that we look good to somebody else. God sees through every smokescreen I put up of piety or religiosity. Ananias and Sapphira, like Barnabas, sold some property. They agreed to keep some of the proceeds for themselves, is what the uh, text says. That word, to keep back, actually means to steal or embezzle or misappropriate. See, here's the fact. They didn't have to sell the property. Nobody made them do it. Here's the fact. When they sold the property, it was not required to bring the money and put it at the apostles' feet. That was totally voluntary. In fact, I would go so far to say if they would have been honest up front and said, you know, Peter, we sold this property. This is the price we got for the property, but we had this much in expenses, and here's everything above our expenses. If they would have just been honest, they may have been around for a little longer. Well, what they did is they came in and they said, here it is. This is all the money we got for our property. They were not just lying to man, Peter says. They were lying to God. And they died. God, don't, don't, don't somehow, don't look at this somehow and see God saying that he's going to do that to you if you don't empty your bank account. That is not the point. 
do see this saying, don't play games with God. Don't think you can pull one over on God. Don't try to manage your image before God. You can't fake generosity, especially in front of God. You see, Ananias and Sapphira still believed they were in control. They believed it was their property, their money. They paid dearly for it. When you and I choose to believe that God owns it all, when we choose to believe that there's nothing we do or give that could even match, let alone surpass, God's grace, when we choose to believe that God is enough, then we are in a right frame of heart and mind. Then generosity, generosity becomes a part of our lives, not an addition, because true generosity begins in the heart. True generosity is fueled by the grace of God. When we are fueled by the grace of God, we start to see other people through the eyes of grace, and all of a sudden, our love for those around us grows, and, and we're more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, who reveals to us sometimes tangible ways we can help somebody else. And when we're generous individually, it impacts our relationships. And we become generous as a called out local body. And God is glorified. And God is pleased. And God is honored. And I want to just say this morning, I am deeply grateful for the way this congregation time and time and time again has stepped up in amazing ways when there's been a need. And I remember several years ago, a neighbor around the corner, their workshop and all burned. It was where his business was housed. It was a Sunday morning, that a Saturday, a Friday night, Saturday that happened. On Sunday morning, I stood before the congregation here. We were about ready to have communion, and typically on communion, we also take up a benevolent fund offering. And I had already cleared it with the deacons, and I said, today, here's what we're going to take up our benevolent offering for. It's for these neighbors over here, and uh, we want to just show them that we care about them, that we love them, that they're part of our community, our neighborhood. And I took them a check that day for over $900 that people just gave. I mean, that was, we didn't, this was announced within minutes. I, I, I was totally blown away. So were they. And you know what? It's interesting because when everything got settled and insurance came through, they came back to me and they handed us back the 900, said it got us through, it helped us, but we don't want to hold on to it. Generosity begat generosity. Edie said that that month that they scraped and saved and ate potatoes was the best month of their lives. I believe when you and I live a life of generosity, we are going to find it's the best time of our life. Because now, yeah, we take care of what we have. We don't worry about it. And we use what we have because God gave it to us. And we buy other stuff that we need because God gives us the means but it's always there in an open hand. There is so much freedom with that. There's so much contentment with that. And God honors it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. 
Thank you for reminders from your word this morning of the power of generosity, how it unifies us. Lord, thank you for a congregation that is generous. May we continue to be people of generosity and continue to see your grace abound. In Jesus' name, amen.